And since we're all set, I'll go ahead, start that local recording. We start the local recording, then we start the intro music. And the intro music, it's great. I love the intro music, don't you? Seventh episode of the first stage of the program. Today is December 4th, 2023. It's the current year. It's a Monday as usual, 9.30 p.m. we do this, and I would invite you to join us for the live program if you're listening on some other platform at some other time. We do it on Rumble. We do it on Odyssey. We do it on DLive. We usually do it on uh, Goyam TV. Goyam TV is SOL today. Sorry to say, fellas. Uh, you know, one of the things that happens around here sometimes is I start the stream, and then when I start the stream, I find that my audio and video are out of sync. And the only way that I can fix that problem is to start the stream over again. The problem that I run into when I do that, unfortunately, very sadly, it's a very unfortunate circumstance. Why are you doing that? Don't do not do that. What, do you, what is that? Okay. you got to be kidding me. Okay. What? All right. All right. So, that's what's going on here? We'll do that, and, okay, all right, much better. This is ridiculous. Come on, what are you doing? What are you doing to me? Okay, anyway, so, as I was saying, the only thing that I can do to fix that problem is to restart the streaming application. What Goyam TV has done, they have a, a, a lack of storage space over there, so I can't store my videos over there. I have to go upload them somewhere else and then basically link to them over on their site. And what they've done, I guess, to deal with people who are not prudent about deleting their streams after they're done, is they don't save the stream at all. So as soon as the stream disconnects, the stream is gone. And if you reconnect, nothing comes up. So the guys over at GTV are SOL tonight. And that's unfortunate because I know that they'd love to hear my eulogy of Henry Kissinger over there at Goyam TV. I think that they'd really get a kick out of this. <laughs> And that's what happened. I, I, I labeled today's episode R.I.P. Henry Kissinger because last week saw the passing of Henry Alfred Kissinger. You might have heard that name before. You probably don't hear people call him Alfred too frequently, but that's his middle name. The former Secretary of State and National Security Advisor to Presidents Nixon and Ford was born in Germany. Being a Jew, had fled that country to arrive in the United States in the year 1938 at no older than 15 years of age. He has authored more than a dozen books, including World Order on China, Diplomacy, and Leadership, Six Studies in World Strategy. Most notably for our purposes, Kissinger's name became inextricably linked to Realpolitik, though he would go on to try to distance himself from this at times. It was a futile effort. Kissinger was heavily involved in U.S. foreign policy with the Soviet Union, China, Israel, Egypt, Syria, Argentina, Chile, Cambodia, Indonesia, Pakistan, Bangladesh, and many others. He helped bring an end to the Yom Kippur War and the U.S. War in Vietnam. He backed Augusto Pinochet in Chile and the Argentini, uh, Argentinian military junta in their dirty war against leftist subversives. He established back-channel communications with leaders all over the world and perhaps most famously arranged for the meeting between Richard Nixon and Mao Zedong. During episode one of Surreal Politics, I said Henry Kissinger was in no small part the inspiration for this production. Most influential in this was his book titled World Order. 
I imagine many of you, like me, have heard the phrase New World Order thrown around in all but positive contexts. These days, I do not at all mind the prospect of a change in how world affairs are organized, but for many years, I considered the New World Order to be a nefarious conspiracy to institute a global government, and Henry Kissinger was prominently featured in much of the literature on this. So when I saw the title World Order by Henry Kissinger, I eagerly picked it up and read it with the utmost interest, figuring it would give me much to complain about. What I found was quite different from what I had expected. The book ended up influencing my thinking a great deal. Coming from libertarianism and the Ron Paul camp, I had long taken a largely disinterested view of most foreign policy matters other than to oppose them axiomatically. Drifting rightward into nationalism, this remained a good fit, being primarily interested in what happens at home and having little desire to be depleting national resources on foreign adventures. In either case, it is obvious to the sane observer that American foreign policy has been catastrophic in recent decades, and arguably as well in decades less recent. Less obvious is the prospect that isolationism, as it is sometimes called, is any more sane. The non-interventionist approach typically holds that so long as an event remains outside of a given territorial perimeter, it is none of our concern. With the libertarians, they lack even the good sense to establish trade limitations. Some go so far as to bastardize their own philosophy and advocate for open borders. Nationalists tend to have a slightly more coherent view of things, proposing strict limitations on immigration and a variety of trade restrictions, which, at minimum, make for fascinating intellectual discussion. Fascinating. That's That's a fun word. We should use that one. Kissinger makes the case that world order does not happen spontaneously, though. Absent intelligent management, he claims the world would likely spiral into unceasing chaos and cataclysm. That this is false is by no means obvious in my view. It is certainly arguable that a world needs to be governed just as does a country or a city, though certainly to a lesser degree of detail. While a wise man is skeptical of his own wisdom, even when dealing with matters closest to him, and this skepticism increases with distance and complexity, the proverbial buck must at some point stop. And for those who rightly complain about how the world is managed today, it might be prudent to say it ought to stop with them, instead of saying that the world ought not be managed. With the renewal of combat operations in Ukraine following a long pause after the 2014 coup against Viktor Yanukovych, the the phrase world order has been uttered more often than at any time in my life. I felt fortunate to have read Kissinger prior to this, and the conflict seemed much clearer to me for having done so. It is by no means senseless that the U.S. is backing Ukraine. The reasons they purport to be doing so, democracy, freedom, etc., these are nonsense, of course, but these are more accurately described as lies like much else in war. The United States and its NATO partners have attempted to conquer the world and bring every nation to heel. Russia and China have been among the few proven capable of maintaining a degree of independence from this, and should they combine forces, they could topple the U.S.-led international order. Russia, being the weaker of the two, has been targeted by this alliance for many years, and NATO has slowly but surely encroached upon Russia with every means at their disposal. If the Russian Federation were sufficiently weakened and conquered by NATO, China would be the lone holdout possessing any meaningful power. Such resembles a chess game about to end, and those with visions of a future in which independent nations pursue the interests of the people within their territorial boundaries rightly view this as unacceptable. Russia makes her gambit crossing the Ukrainian border. America, sensing opportunity, invites this invasion. That is why Joe Biden said, well, if it's just a minor incursion, who knows? The NATO alliance was willing to forfeit the lives of the Ukrainian people to drag Russia into a quagmire, and to accomplish this, the United States has sent weapons and other resources only in sufficient quantities and on such a timeline as to maximize the damage to both nations. But Russia's timing was no accident. America had been at war for 20 years. The COVID pandemic had weakened the economy, and an incoming Democrat president was sure to worsen the ordeal. 
the president of the United States was viewed as illegitimate by a substantial portion of the country. The country was embroiled in race riots. His family has been involved in tremendous crimes and has been compromised by Ukraine and by China. There could hardly be a better time to be in a standoff with the United States. Through its antagonisms against the Russian Federation, America has abandoned the Kissinger strategy of maintaining a balance of relations between Russia and China, wherein neither is closer to the other than either is to the United States. They have pushed Russia into China's arms, and both Russia and China had benefited from this tremendously. Another Kissinger strategy abandoned by the Biden administration was the policy known as strategic ambiguity, wherein the United States has long agreed that there is but one China and that Taiwan is a part of China. The United States has always said that it would aid Taiwan to defend itself. But until the Biden administration, it was left intentionally vague as to whether the United States would intervene militarily to protect Taiwan from Beijing. By saying the U.S. would so intervene, Joe Biden set America on the path to war with China. Of all this, the non-interventionists might say that we ought not be involved in any of it. Let Beijing take Taiwan. Let Russia take Ukraine. Let the two form an alliance. Let them overrun Europe together. Let them colonize Africa. Let them go to war with India. Let them try their hand managing the Middle East. Let them take all the territory that is not ours. But when the Communist Party controls the world's leading manufacturer of semiconductors and Russia dominates global energy markets and the two decide to combine in order to impose upon the United States, what then? The answer is uncertain, but one can be sure it is not a world of independent nations governing according to the interests of their peoples. Nationalists and libertarians do not agree on much, but find themselves in such good company when it comes to war, don't they? In this, they often find themselves holding the same signs as leftists, which both purport to despise almost competitively, and none involved seem to find this at all troubling. It is no small task to maintain a balance of power. The most capable minds must consider not only military matters, but also the global allocation of natural resources, trade, birth rates, monetary policy, shifting attitudes of diverse populations, and an ever-changing combination of factors too numerous to list in a two-hour podcast. There is a great deal of espionage involved in this, both in the mundane sense of collecting and analyzing information and in the more distasteful sense of subversive activity and interference. When these fail, arms follow, and things become all the more difficult to manage from there. Take the Middle East and the broader Muslim world, as it has been called. Appropriately, much of what goes on there has been viewed with suspicion by many. It is an increasingly popular view that American foreign policy toward that region is a product of Israeli subversion. Fair enough. It would be difficult in the extreme to trace the history of that region to a time when this was not a factor. Even prior to the establishment of the Jewish state, Zionists had made their presence felt in governments throughout the world and used their influence to bring about the creation of that state. Both prior and subsequent to that creation, much of American foreign policy has been aimed at preventing these nations from unifying under a single banner, a caliphate as it has been called. Say such a state were to form. Say it were to obtain nuclear weapons. Say those governing such a state took seriously their theocratic vision of a world in which all either prayed toward Mecca or reduced to dimitude, paying the jizya tax. How many nations would a nationalist permit them to conquer before he considered this a threat to his perimeter? With so much blood and treasure forfeited to the Zionist project, an appropriate skepticism has formed about the Jewish state. We are told by our leaders that Israel is our greatest ally, as if they knew not the difference between that word and liability. To the extent they offer us any explanation for this, they give us moral lectures as if these people were philosophers and not the most depraved and craven creatures ever to slither across the earth. One thing we know for certain about American foreign policy is that it has little to do with morality or values, certainly anything but democracy. But there is most certainly a reason for it, and you hear slip from time to time if you pay close enough attention that it is their, quote, intelligence capability that renders this greatest ally theory worth uttering. Whether or not this makes them our greatest ally is subject to the most vigorous of debates, to say the least of it, but the prospect that Israel has capable spies ought come as no surprise even to the most vehement of anti-Semites. 
It is the nature of espionage that the average voter knows little of it, and the remarkable reliability with which world leaders defer to this tiny nation ought to tell us something very significant about what we are not told. Can the nationalist disregard this for an ethnic animus? What would be the consequences of doing so on the world stage? These questions are by no means simple. They cannot be dismissed as such. I titled today's episode R.I.P. Henry Kissinger. Some say he ought better burn in hell than rest in peace. Depending on your view of things, one outcome may be more likely than the other. But all outward appearances today suggest that the people steering the ship are not nearly so thoughtful as he. Whatever you think of his goals or how he achieved them, what cannot be argued is that he approached such things carelessly. I cannot place nearly so much confidence in those who call the shots in the news that I read as of late that might turn out to be for the best. Who knows? Perhaps they will fail and more prudent leaders will come to the fore. But there is no certainty of this. And what troubles me the most as I think about this fact is that the people I tend to consider most prudent in domestic matters have little appetite for the important work once so handled so aptly by Henry Kissinger. 217-688-1433 if you'd like to be on the program. And the more you talk, the less I have to. So please do give us a call. Love to hear your thoughts on this. And I know that you have them, okay? So don't don't wait around until 1129 to give me a call. Give me a call. Let me know what you think because I know that you have thoughts on this. And I imagine you also have thoughts on uh, I recently released. I haven't sent out an email about this because I'm getting another one of my new email problems. Uh, whenever I send you an email, I'm getting, I was, <laughs> for a while, I was getting bounced by Microsoft and by uh, Charter or Spectrum, as it was. And then I got Microsoft fixed, and I thought the Charter was working or Spectrum was fixed, and then Spectrum started bouncing me again. Now I'm getting bounces from, from Yahoo, and apparently Yahoo is managing the email for AOL now. I didn't even realize that. And so... Um, I have what they're telling me is that they're they're bouncing the emails because of unexpected volume. So I've had to slow down my email sending. And so I haven't sent out this email yet, but I did post, as I promised I would over the weekend, um, this uh, debate between me and a fellow by the name of Eric Stryker, who you've heard me talk about if you're if you're on the member streams, you've been paying attention to the uncensored production. And that is, uh, that's worth a listen, I got to say. I, I do think it is. Some people have suggested that me and Mr. Stryker could do a podcast together. You know, I don't think that it would be a successful long-term venture, say. But, uh, you know, it's definitely, it's definitely an interesting listen. So give it a call. Call you on Surreal Politics. What can I do for you today, friend? Hey, Chris. Um, the, I just wanted to, to talk about a point. One of the things you brought up in the monologue, you had kind of like equated, I think, libertarian ideas of foreign policy and nationalist ideas of foreign policy. And you mentioned like waving banners that are the same that you might see the left wave or uh, protest, you know, banners. Yes. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I would take a little bit of, um, take a different perspective on that. I think nationalists, while it might sound the same as what a libertarian talks about, I think it's more strategic than that because I think the nationalist like anti-war uh, phrasing is more to do with, like, specifically this system that we're under, you want it to lose. So it's not like if a nationalist government were to be in charge of things, they would say you can't go to war or, you know, you should be so isolationist to the point that you cut yourself off from the world. I think it's more that um, you just want to see the current regime that's in power in the West fall because it's actively killing off, you know, white people. Okay. I mean, I can understand that. I, 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 as a matter of fact, I do understand that. But I, I don't think that it's inaccurate to say that the the libertarians, the left, and nationalists often end up taking the same approach to things, right? And and I and you know I would go so far as to say that what you're describing is not is not a a more well thought out theory than than what I said, right? It's like if you just want the current regime to fall under any circumstances, like I can understand why you feel. I, I, I 100% agree with wanting the current regime to fall, say, okay? The, the idea that the, the regime must fall by any means and, and come what may, I think, is, is, not, is, is by definition not well thought out, right? If, if we're saying come what may, then necessarily we're, we're actually talking about 
something that is not very well thought out, right? Yeah, I, I would agree with that, but I don't. I wouldn't say that it's come what may. I think it's you know when opportunities arise. I mean, you talked about Russia taking the opportunity to strike Ukraine when it did. I'm sure Russia didn't want that, and I'm sure Russia couldn't totally foresee the outcomes of that. But they knew that that opportunity was there, and that it had to have been something that was at least an opportunity of being better than what was currently going on, which is like the slow march of NATO up to its border and the arming of Ukraine anyway. So I mean, you know, looking at it flipped from from our perspective towards foreign policy, it's like, do we want a, a Russia China multipolar like domination of the planet? Is that ideal? No. But if that alliance can be successful and that creates cracks in the current regime that we have, then that might give us an opening. And like, that's obviously better, even if it ends up not being well thought out. I mean, that's obviously better than what we currently have, which is like the slow eradication of our people. So like, I mean, with, with what we have now, you know that we're going to be genocided. That other future may not be ideal, but you at least potentially have, you know, some scenario where you don't end up genocided. So it's kind of like, it's an opportunity, I think. You know, we don't have a lot of opportunities. So when you see people that say, I don't want the United States to be successful on the world stage, I hope that Russia and China are successful, I feel like it's it's more strategic from a nationalist perspective than you might be giving it credit for, whereas with a, um, like a libertarian, it might be more ideological and less thought out. And, you know, with the leftists, obviously, you know. Well, I, I think, idea, I, I, guess. I, I think to, to your credit, I mean, we can't say that nationalists ever are of a single mind is the last thing I try to imply about them. So, you know, I, I, it would be inaccurate for me to say that all nationalists hold this very simplified position. But take, for example, here, here's a better example. OK, I actually think it would be completely disastrous if China takes Taiwan. OK, because like we depend upon Taiwan for the semiconductor routine. And if they end up in control of that, that's actually like not that's really not a small matter. During the Trump administration, one of the one of the more interesting trade moves I think Donald Trump had made was to block the sale of a very high tech device to a Chinese company, which was which was for making high tech semiconductors. Okay, so like. I don't know what your familiarity is with that industry, but you know your your CPU, your GPU. These are these are semiconductors, and these are very important for, uh, among other things, military applications, but also especially artificial intelligence now, which is becoming the next you know weapon of war, right? And so the Trump administration had blocked um, China from obtaining this this machine that's actually made in the Netherlands, and so. You know, that type of thing is is actually important in my view. And if China goes, China goes, takes Taiwan or for that matter, just goes and destroys all the semiconductor creating capacity in Taiwan, it's going to set back. If, if they just go destroy it, it's going to set the whole world back. If they go and they take it and they, you know, cut the United States out of it or only share it with their allies, it's going to. It's going to advance China and whoever China is allied with to, to the tremendous detriment of the United States and everybody who's on the wrong side of China. And so, you know, I actually, as you know, I, I favor Russia in the Ukraine conflict. I'm I'm actually like hugely worried about China taking Taiwan, you know. And so, like, that's, in my view, one of the reasons that the United States should stop this Ukraine nonsense and be like, hey, you know what? Let's get a new president in there. Be like, hey, that guy was an idiot. We don't want anything to do with this anymore. Russia, be our friend, yada, yada, <laughs> yada. Prevent China from taking Taiwan. Like, that's a very prudent international strategy, in my view. Now, I haven't had that conversation with many nationalists to know, you know what their view of it is. But if your view is, I just want America to lose, well, then, then your view is almost certainly going to be you want China to take Taiwan, Okay. And that, in my view, is a completely different category of issue than the than the Ukraine conflict. And so, you know, well, I can't say that um, all nationalists have so simplistic a view of foreign policy as as, uh, you know, your average, you know, peacenik libertarian. I, I, I am aware that, you know, a certain strain of that, you know, runs rather pervasively through the movement. I would agree. I think I think you got to separate like people that actually think and, you know, can, you know, like, I guess, thought leaders or whatever you want to call them versus like people you might run into in a random chat or just generally that identifies nationalists. Like there's different calibers of people. So, you know, I, 
I, you know, I agree with you. If the United States, like from a net, from a, you know, international perspective, like needs to block China's move there, that's like a big, you know, danger for the United States. But the problem is, is like, if, if the United States gets a hold of the semiconductors, then you, like, who's actually getting control of the semiconductors are the same people that run our government and want to, you know, kill you and me and kill our families. And so while it would be also really bad, probably if China got them, there's like a 99% chance that that's a problem. Whereas like when, when the United States has control of that, like we know right now we're a hundred percent behind the eight ball in terms of our government. So I, again, it's, it's not the ideal situation, but you know, if you, you had mentioned in the monologue, China was the single strongest nation that could challenge the United States. Unfortunately, that's the dog in the fight that you have to look at until you can, you know, wrest control of your government away from these people. And they have such a strong grip on it of power in general that it's like, you might need some outside force to like, you know, put some cracks in the armor, you know, and if that ends up being the way it's got to go, it's not, again, it's not ideal, but that might be the way it has to go. I would think that the nationalist perspective is you, you would block China from getting into Taiwan while also, you know, building up your own capacity to like do the semiconductors in a place that you actually have control over, you know, ideally at home. But we're not even, we're like nowhere near the levers of power at this point that like talking about international things that we could do or like what, what a nationalist would like to see happen is almost like, I don't know, like intellectually, you know, it, it's fun to think about, but it's like, you know, we're so far from that that I don't even know if it's useful for us to talk about it. Well, you know, that's part of uh, that, you know, I, I'm glad that you said that because I think that that's part of the problem, right? Uh, you know, I have this bad habit of myself, which I think that the movement should attempt to rid itself of because I, I, I think I'm not the only one who suffers this, that I have this, what might be described as a peculiar combination of over and underestimating myself, wherein, you know, I say, okay, well, you know, it, it's important that I do these things because I want to influence the future, and then I say some of the things I do are, you know, without consequence because I, I have no power, right? Well, you know, those those two mindsets are actually not entirely compatible, say, right? So, like, what we ought to be doing certainly is, you know, we, we have some consciousness that we're influencing the conversation at, at a minimum, right? And, and, and we don't downplay the importance mm -hmm. of that, ten, generally speaking. And... We also, you know, there are elements within the movement that, you know, have an, have an intent on participating in electoral politics. I would say that those people are fewer and fewer, It's uh, I'm sad to say. But, you know, electoral politics does have this, you know, weird way of influencing policy, right? And so, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, and because of that, you know, it's it's sort of uh, it's sort of important to take a, a view of things that, you know, that has a serious view of the world, I'd say. And I think that when I hear nationalists talk about foreign policy, including thought leaders, I mean, their 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 attitude tends to be and granted, you know, I'm not listening to podcasts that often, so I might be missing things. I'm certainly missing things, I should say. But it, it seems to me that the the prevailing train of thought is it, it's you want America to lose, you know, and like that, I would say, is is not conducive to gaining influence domestically. It, it is not conducive to even to the extent that there are people who share that sentiment. Like when you if, if you view if you take a, a foreign policy stance that has a tendency to uh, that, that if it came to fruition would tend to reduce the quality of life for the people who you would like to have you, you who you would like to be governing you know those people are going to take a skeptical view of your governance say yeah i i agree with that i mean if you were if you're talking about like you're going out to the public and you're trying to make a pitch for leadership i mean then you know i, I would agree that you definitely have to think about what you say you have to have a serious international proposal and all that other kind of stuff um but i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't say that um the the nationalist thought leaders are going out and telling people they want america to lose i think that they're calling the hypocrisy out on what america does like arming ukraine and, and why that's a bad idea and why we should leave russia alone and i think that resonates with a lot of people i mean like the average i would say you know a good chunk of the average republican or right-wing voter um agrees with that stance and i don't think that that's like 
unserious to to talk about some, I guess, hands-off policies for the United States. I mean, people are tired of the adventurism that the United States has, uh, you know, done around the world. And a lot of it has been at the behest of Israeli, um, you know, geopolitical interests, more even more so than our own. So I think that you can make that case to people, and I think that that would resonate with a, a good chunk of the people that you actually want to reach. Um, and it doesn't have to be, I want America to lose, even though if we're having a frank conversation, you know, geopolitically, like, I don't want the United States exercising power right now because it's a negative influence for the world. I mean, our number one net export at this point is, like, homosexuality. You know, I'm not really interested <laughs> yeah. in the United States having the geopolitical power to do that. So, and I, I think you could, I think you could talk to people domestically and say the United States needs to stop doing that kind of stuff. And I think that you would have a good audience for it. It's just about the framing. In our community, obviously, the framing is not always the best, and it's a lot more vitriolic, but, um, you know, I, I do think that you can have a serious policy proposal for international um, interaction with the United States from a nationalist perspective that's serious. And it, you know, it might sound pacifist sometimes, but it doesn't have to be, you know, as a, like a matter of course, like it is with libertarians or leftists. I think that's, I think that's a very fair analysis, my friend. And I thank you very much for it. And I thank you very much for the call. Thanks, Chris. Have a good night. You too. 217-688-1433. If you'd like to be on the program, and the more you talk, the less I have to. So please do give us a call. I'd love to hear from you. I know you have thoughts on this. So go ahead. Share them with us at 217-688-1433. What else was I going to tell you about? Uh, I'm going to go. I'll, I'll pull up some news here. But there was uh I put out the, I told you about the Eric Stryker thing. I put out the uh, the history of me and those uh, boys over at TRS there. And uh, I don't know. It'll come to me before the end of the show. 217-688-1433. You'd like to be on the program. And the more you talk, the less I have to. So please do give us a call. So here's an interesting thing. Uh, this apparently is just breaking today. Um, Douglas Mackey, a.k.a. Ricky Vaughn, was convicted in a federal court of uh, conspiring against people's right to vote by telling them that they could vote by text message. And this has been roundly mocked as preposterous because, you know, surely nobody's so stupid as to think that you could vote by text message because you were told this by Ricky Vaughn on Twitter, you know. But, of course, people are very stupid. And so, you know, the government, they, they prosecuted him for this. It's, you know, not appropriate by any stretch of the imagination. But he was convicted of this. He was sentenced to prison for doing it. He was about to go to prison. And breaking news, the Second Circuit Court of Appeals just overruled the district court in granting Mackey's motion for bond pending appeal. And so he has uh, announced this on Twitter. It is linked over at Revolver. That is extraordinarily, that is extraordinary. It does not usually happen that you get convicted sentenced <laughs> you're about to report to prison and in comes an appellate court to say why don't you hang out a little while 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 we think about this <laughs> that is very unusual that 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 ricky vaughn character he's very lucky i'd say uh you know some might describe it as suspicious i'm not i'm not saying that necessarily is the case but I don't see a whole lot of that, and so uh, good for you, Ricky Vaughn. Uh, you're gonna be uh, you're gonna be on the streets a little bit longer. Good to have Tucker Carlson on your side, I guess. Two one seven six eight eight one four three three. You'd like to be on the program, and the more you talk, the less I have to. So please, you give us a call. Uh, here's over at uh, Revolver. Also, I thought it was very amusing the number. So so. Uh, another candidate has dropped out of the race today. Uh, I have to I have to pull his name up because it's thoroughly forgettable. His name was Doug Burgum. <laughs> if you watch the debates, you might have seen him. He was over on the edges trying to participate. He was like uh, he was like hopping up and down, like, "Hey, I'm over here!" And they're like, "What do you?" Do? I think security tried to escort him out a couple of times. He had to show them ID. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that actually occurred. I'm just remarking about his insignificance is really what I'm saying. And I mean, you can understand how, how the guy could get lost in a shuffle with all that excitement over Nikki Haley and whatnot, you know? <laughs> so he's out of the race and, uh, Nikki Haley, she's now polling higher than Vivek Ramaswamy, which is very significant. Now, if she could just get into the double digits, you know, she might be able to lose the primary, 
um, with an ounce of dignity. But that seems very unlikely given the polling numbers that are out today, amongst which uh, Harris poll, Trump 68, DeSantis 9, uh, Decision Desk poll, Trump 60, DeSantis 11. So Ron DeSantis in the higher polling is polling at 11%, and he is the closest one to Trump. And everybody else is behind him. And they are still pretending that there's a that there's a Republican primary going on. It's a little curious, I'd say. There's apparently another debate coming up this Wednesday. I found that out because I turned on Fox News this morning for a change. I, I used to watch Fox News every single day. I used to wake up and watch Fox and Friends every morning. I used to watch the evening nine up every night. And then after they fired Tucker, I kind of, you know, it was a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit there, a little here, a little there. And then I canceled my cable subscription. And now I just, you know, I still have access to it through streaming. <clears throat> Matter of fact, the way I still have access, I'll even tell you, the way I still have access to it is that on my, on my parents' <laughs> cable account, I still have an email address there like that I created, you know, 20 years ago more, you know. Over 20 years ago, I created an email address with my parents' internet account. And through that, I'm able to log in as the cable provider to watch the Fox News streaming channel, right? And so I have it. I have a Roku TV here. And so I turn it on every once in a while. And it was amazing to me this morning. The whole, almost the entire morning, they're talking about Israel. (laughs) They're still all morning. Talking about rape, 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 rape. The Hamas is raping people. Don't you oppose rape? What's wrong with you? Don't you? If you don't oppose Hamas, then you must love rape, don't you? <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, you know, I've actually seen that nonsense peddled before by Democrats who are like, oh, the, De- the Republicans are the rape party, don't you know? <laughs> no, I don't. I'm not. I'm not on board with the whole raping thing. I, I'm totally against raping people, you know? I just don't want to keep on subsidizing a foreign ethno state to the detriment of my own country. But you guys just talk about rape all morning and see where that gets you. I don't know. Maybe maybe some more people will change the channel. That's a distinct possibility. <laughs> but I was watching it and they were like, oh, the, the Republican debate this Wednesday. And I'm like, really? Like the, there's a Republican debate has been coming up for weeks and I'm like, I'm probably not the only person who figured this out today. It's such a bore. It's amazing what Donald Trump does to a political campaign, isn't it? You remember 2016? How how amazing was 2016, honestly? What was that? What was that noise? What am I being warned of here? I just got a beep. Something just beeped at me. All right. Well, <coughs> So anyway, I was the same. Remember 2016? How much fun was that? You're waiting for them to get on stage. You know, Trump's running around giving these speeches. Everybody's losing their minds over it. You can't wait for them to get on the stage and just smack these people around. Are you watching this stuff? Are you paying any attention to it? I mean, it's, you know, it's it's probably prudent to do. I just got done saying that, you know, the world's a very complex place. We had Henry Kissinger at the house, you know. But, like, it's amazing how entertaining he made the process, you know. When you people tell you that Donald Trump didn't accomplish nothing, that Donald Trump was, you know, failure, yada, yada, yada. He made it worth paying attention, you know. How many people are going to vote in this election? How many people voted in 2020 for that matter, right? We had supposedly record turnout in 2020. Now, I imagine that had to do with a lot of dead people, illegal immigrants, a bunch of people that were ineligible to vote, a bunch of, you know, phantom voters. There's probably a great deal of that, probably, you know, 10, 20 million of them, maybe. Who knows? But I do believe that you had record turnout in 2020, and I think that that was in no small part. Yeah, I mean, the you know, the stakes of the election were obviously huge. But more than that, you know, how many people were just completely disconnected from politics their whole life, saw Donald Trump up there and was like, oh, my God, I need to be totally involved in this pol- politics thing. And now he's like, yeah, I'm just I'm going to win. All right. Just, you know, show up on Election Day. We'll be straight. <laughs> you know, 
it's actually it completely changes the entire it completely changes the entire thing. Two one seven six eight eight one four three three. You like to be on the program, and the more you tell, the less I have to. So please do give us a call. And you know, it's not just like uh, that. There's more Republicans, or that Republicans are going to vote in greater numbers. Independent voters, angry ones at that, give uh, Trump an edge over Biden in twenty twenty four, according to the I and I and TIPP poll. This is over at uh, issuesinsights.com. Who will win the next presidential election? Of course, no one knows since it's still 11 months off and the Democrats cheat. He didn't say Democrats cheat. I inserted that part. But if the election were held today, there would be a second term for President Donald Trump, the latest I&I TIPP poll shows. The national online poll taken from November 29th to December 1st from among 1,301 registered voters shows Trump with a slim two percentage points over President Joe Biden, 41 to 39. The poll has a margin of error of plus or minus 2.8 percentage points. So it's within uh, uh, the, uh, the margin of error. Notably, there isn't a majority for either of the candidates. Among these, those responding, 13% opted for other, while 7% said not sure. And, you know, there was a whole movie about a guy by that name. A total of 20% of the total sample. So while Trump has an edge, there remains a lot of work to be done for both parties to bring the one in five voters who do not support their candidate back into the fold. Can it be done? Right now, both presidential candidates draw fairly equal support from members of their own party. Republicans, for instance, would vote 84% for Trump, 5% for Biden, 8% for the other, with 3% not sure. Again, that guy. Democrats would go 81% for Biden, 5% for Trump, 8% for someone else, and 5% not sure. And they're all lying, by the way, you know. Oh, yeah, well, you know, I'm going to go there, and I'll tell you what. I'm going to go, and I'm going to vote Libertarian. I'm going to vote uh, Green Party. No, you're not. Shut up. <clears throat> so who decides the election? It comes down to just the two big candidates. If it comes down to just the two big candidates, Biden and Trump slugging it out, the answer is simple. Independence, they will hold the key to 2024's outcome. And, of course, this is by no means like a profound political insight. This is the whole entire point of politics, you you know. You have your base, you know, your base makes it possible for you to combine with the independent voter in order to win the presidency. That's the whole entire point of a political party, by the way. Right now, independents strongly favor Trump over Biden, 37 percent to 28 percent. That's well outside the 4.9 percent margin of error for the independents. But they also have big doubts and might well be a volatile component of the overall vote of the independents. A large 22% chunk prefers other to the two major candidates, while 13% are not sure. And, they, you know, that movie was great. You should watch it. There's a total of 35% of independents who are likely to make up around a third of all voters, a virtual third par- political party lacking only a written political platform. For greater clarity, the INITIP poll asked a separate question about the presidential vote preference. This one added specific names of three potential third-party candidates to the mix. Robert F. Kennedy Jr., independent, who tallies 11% of the overall vote, and Cornell R. West, independent, and Jill Stein, Green Party, who each get 2%. And once they find out what Cornell West been doing with his money and his love life, that's going to drop to, like, 5%, even though it's two now, which means he's going to get more votes. <laughs> the result, while both major candidates have votes siphoned away by the third party names, Biden is hurt worse. Trump's lead over Biden widens to five points from two points from Trump's 41% to 39% lead when just the two candidates are listed. The size of the lead expands 38 to 33 when the third party candidates are added. So instead of taking votes from Trump, as some recent polls have suggested, it looks more like the opposite is true. Even a third party challenge from well-known RFK will hurt Biden more than Trump. What's more, while Trump's share of the all-important independent vote shrinks to 32% with the third-party candidates added, Biden's plunges to just 19%, only a percentage point ahead of RFK's 18% support among independents. But who will run other than the small handful of declared third-party candidates and who will win the all-important primaries for both parties next year? For Republicans, the answer remains Trump. Even with six declared foes for the primary season, Trump garnered 61% of the total vote, followed by South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley at 10%, Ron DeSantis at 9%. Oh, my God. Well, that's interesting. When they're saying Ron DeSantis is at 9 that's that's Nikki Haley out-polling him. 
That is fascinating. Double digits for Nikki Haley. Congratulations, sweetheart. You might just go ahead, break the glass ceiling of the biggest loser. You could, you could lose. You could be like the one who lost by the least amount. That would be great. That would be great for feminism. Author, entrepreneur, activist Vivek Ramaswamy at 7% and New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum and Alaska, former Alaska Governor, Arkansas Governor, I should say, Alaska Governor. She's not in this thing this time. Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, all at 1%. Only 2% answered someone else. (laughs) Biden finds himself in a similar situation like Trump. He has 61% of support of voters in his party, which is 3% going to House Rep. Dean Phillips of Minnesota and 5% to Marianne Williamson, author and progressive activist. Just 4% said someone else, but a hefty 26% said not sure. But what will happen if, as many expect, Trump is found guilty of one of the 91 counts in four separate indictments he now faces? And what if, as many expect, Biden bows out of the race? Those issues will be addressed in the next release of the INITIPP poll data this week. Well, I'm looking forward to that for sure. For now, it comes down to this. Both Biden and Trump have commanding leads within their parties for the upcoming primaries. As sports announcers like to say, the game's theirs to lose. For Trump, the negatives are high, but that doesn't seem to phase his legions of loyal supporters. Only 2% of GOP primary voters say they want someone else, while 7% say they're not sure. For a total of 9%. Among independents voting in the Republican contest, only 2% say they want someone else, while 11% say they're not sure, a total of 13%. Digging into the data, Biden's numbers are far shakier. While only 2% of Dems say they want someone else, a significant 22% say they are not sure. Putting a big question mark over the strength of Biden's support. In short, nearly a quarter want someone else or are uncertain. Among independents voting in Democrat primaries, 9% want someone other than Biden and a sizable 39% are not sure. As we noted earlier, Trump overall maintains a favorable 37 to 28% edge over Biden among all independents. So despite the numerical closeness of the two candidates overall, Democrat Party officials and activists are pushing the panic button these days over the prospect of Biden running next year. As TIPP Insights recently pointed out, Biden has a significant potential weakness in 21 of the 36 demographic categories covered by the TIPP Presidential Leadership Index, which has fallen sharply. Quote, our analysis reveals that this greatest vulnerability lies in the Midwest among individuals 18 to 24, moderates, households with incomes under $30,000 and households in the $50 to $75,000 bracket, TIPP Insights said. Biden also seeing Biden is also seeing flagging support among some Hispanics and African-American voters, many of whom are considering voting non-Democrat for the first time ever. Recent headlines in the mainstream media underscore the panic among Democrats. Why is Biden losing support from people of color? And this may be Biden's best hope of reversing his slide with black and brown voters. CNN News. From 2016 to 2020, exit polls show Trump improved his share of the Hispanic vote from 28 to 32 percent, of the black vote from 8 percent to 12 percent, and the Asian vote from 29 to 31 percent, and looks on track to improve those numbers further in the current going. In the current INITIPP poll, Trump gets 14 percent among black Americans, 37 percent support from Hispanics, and 44 percent from women. So Democrats are now wondering, will minorities, women, and independents defect from the Biden Dems and hand Trump the presidency again? INI and TIPP publishes timely, unique, and informative data each month on topics of public interest. TIPP's reputation for polling excellence comes from being the most accurate pollster for the past five presidential elections. And that is the story from over at Issues and Insights. Well, I'm looking forward to that uh, that further data coming down to pipe down. Definitely looking forward to... Uh, see what they have to say. <clears throat> I have a very difficult time imagining a bunch of people, uh, you know, believing, you know, because it didn't happen last time, obviously. They're full of garbage, these people. You know what I was thinking when I said that, don't you? Uh, you know, they're full of garbage when they tell you that uh, that uh, <laughs> all these people voted for Biden in the first place. They think you're going to buy that twice. They do not buy that. They do not think that you're going to believe that. And so uh, they're gonna uh, they're gonna have uh, they're gonna have a hard time on their hands convincing anybody that that's what's going on. 
217-688-1433 if you'd like to be on the program. And the more you talk, the less I have to. So please do give us a call. I'm going to play a brief clip and I'll be right back. But if somebody finds that you said something insensitive 20 years ago, you'll never be heard from again. Now, how could – look, if, if I belong to a despised minority group, I would so vastly prefer somebody who just says something insensitive about me 20 years ago to somebody who wants to bomb me. Like, what, what am I missing here, Chris? Well, I, I think the first thing that we're missing is that this will not – um, you know, expel people from the world, right? The, 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 the fact of the matter is, is that what really jams people up with this is when they backpedal and apologize, which I think is, you know, the worst thing that you can do. When somebody calls you a racist, they think the best thing you can say is, so what? Now get on with your argument. You know, I, you know, people call me a racist and a sexist and a misogynist and a bigot. And I'm like, okay, now make your point because all you did was launch an ad hominem attack at me. You haven't even refuted anything I've said. You don't win the argument by doing this. And I think if more people did that, then, you know, these, these attacks would really lose a lot of their steam. You know, me, people have been trying to run me out of the liberty movement for, for years now. And, uh, I just didn't, you know, I, people laugh at me for bragging about Alexa ranks, but I just bypassed the Free State Project on toplibertarian.com. I'm actually right below you right now, Mr. Woods. Ah, well, so, how about that? Well, lucky for you, I'm too busy making Ron Paul homeschool videos to be at full octane, but, but good for I you. Know, I know, I know. <laughs> good for you, though. I, I know that if you were, if you were writing, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, less important things than, than the obviously very important work that you're doing right now, that you'd be driving a great deal more traffic. Yeah, but, but, no, but, but still, no, really no, that good is good. About seeing my name right next to yours on top libertarian. No, that that, that right is now. that really is uh, that really is an accomplishment. And what I like about it is that nobody, to return to the privilege issue, nobody handed you a thing. To the contrary, everybody tried to take things from you. Like nobody said, "Here, everybody, here's a platform where I'm going to introduce you to this guy." Now, I I was lucky. Because I, you know, Ron Paul has promoted me to one degree or another, and I've been with the Mises Institute for a number of years, and that's been good for me. But at the same time, I'm not. Okay, welcome back to Surreal Politics, 217-688-1433. You'd like to be on the program, and uh, if you'd like to be on the program, go ahead and get your call in now, because if I don't, if nobody's going to talk to me, then I'm going to call it a night in like five minutes. So give me a call or, uh, or uh, forever hold your peace. Or hold it until, you know, Wednesday or whatever. Let's see here. Let's see here. Let's see here. 20 FBI agents dressed in tactical gear just raided the home of a peaceful J6er because of his online associations. The excessive use of force against January 6 victims has reached levels that are so absurd that they're now in the realm of North Korea-esque treatment. It's clear that the regime is trying to send a message to anyone who dares to dissent. If they step out of line, meaning they don't bow down to the regime agenda, the full force of the United States government will come crashing down on them and their families. It's like a KGB tactic that is very powerful and rather off-putting to Americans who still appreciate and love freedom. This blatant abuse of power was on full display recently when 20 FBI agents dressed in tactical SWAT gear conducted a raid on the home of a peaceful January 6th participant who had simply walked through an open door at the Capitol. The man was charged with a misdemeanor, so why did the federal government deploy such overwhelming force against this poor soul? According to the authorities, they justified this approach based on the associations this peaceful man had online. In other words, he likes people who think the wrong way. According to Yahoo News... This FBI, this, the FBI this week raided the home of a Los Angeles-based actor who was among a group of right-wing protesters who entered the Capitol on January 6th, authorities said. About 20 agents, armed and outfitted with tactical gear, raided the North Hollywood home of Siaka shortly, shortly before 6 a.m. on Thursday, according to a source familiar with the investigation. Public records list Brian Burks, 42, at the same address. Burks did not return a call for comment, but his ex-wife, Lavelle Mendoza, confirmed Burks was briefly detained by federal authorities. Mendoza said their two sons, ages three and seven, were at Burks' home when it was raided. My heart breaks, Mendoza said Saturday. They had to see the big guns, and I just think I wasn't there to console them. The raid took place because of the two men's associations on a social media app, according to the law enforcement source. No further details of the raid were provided. It was unclear whether Masakoy was uh, arrested and released. 
Massaquoi did not uh, return calls from the Times for comment. Mendoza said Burks called her around 6 a.m. the day of the raid and said he needed to drop the kids off. I knew that something was bad. Something bad had to happen for him to just abruptly call me, she said. I support him in doing what he believes in. I don't agree with everything. I just don't want my kids to be in the crossfire. An Instagram video posted on his account that at Chief Americano after the raid. Uh, in an Instagram video posted to his Instagram account, Chief Americano, after the raid, Massaquoi said, quote, I did nothing wrong on January 6th, did nothing violent. Videos posted on social media from January 6th showed him inside the Capitol building. Massaquoi is an actual actor known for playing bit, uh, bit parts on various shows. In addition, he has worked for the Babylon Bee and Daily Wire. So it makes you wonder who exactly are these so-called dangerous associations of his. Massacoy also recorded himself at an anti-vaccine protest and played a prominent role in one movement to recall Gavin Newsom. So it's pretty obvious why he's considered public enemy number one and why the regime is intent on destroying him and making an example of him to deter others from dissenting against the regime. As disconcerting as this situation may be, it should serve as an inspiration for everyone to dissent even more. After all, that's exactly what this country was built upon, challenging the establishment's narrative and rebelling against a crooked system. The current issue is that when you swim against the tide, you're frequently treated as though you were a domestic terrorist, triggering a SWAT team response. That's a truly frightening situation to confront. However, what's even more alarming is living under constant tyranny from a government that should fear the people and not the other way around. And so I will go ahead. I'm going to start to wrap up today's show today. I'll tell you a couple of interesting things. You may know I am on uh, something called supervised release. I had a period of time where I often euphemistically say that I lacked Internet access is how I usually frame this. But actually what happened was I went to a place called prison. And when you get out of prison in the federal system, you typically have what's known as a supervised release, which is a form of probation. And so I was released into custody of the United States government as of December 19th of 2022. And we are approaching the one year anniversary of that release. And you're welcome to celebrate by sending me money or whatever, if you can't. So. Lots of information on that at surrealpolitics.com slash donate or christophercantwell.net slash donate. And I will, uh, I'm trying to make it very easy to pay me for those of you who are interested in doing that. So, uh, you know, I get, I get sent part of the sentences. I get two, two years of supervised release and, uh, it is, I'm made aware that you, that I have the ability to, um, m- make a motion with the court to terminate that supervision, uh, halfway through, which will be, uh, in a mere, uh, two weeks from tomorrow. So I get a hold of my public defender and I say, Hey, uh, I don't know if like you still represent me or whatever. Um, I'm not a whole lot richer than uh, the day we met, but, uh, you know, you know, I, I have no idea how to go about doing this. And if you want to help me out with that, that'd be swell. So they get back to me and they say, OK, well, you know, let's uh, talk to your P.O. about this. And I'm thinking that this is going to go over fine because, you know, my relationship with my P.O. is basically non-existent. I send this guy an email once a week and uh, and he does not uh, tend to reply. And so I have... <laughs> The United States government, uh, you know, they have this interesting interest in me, say, where they they really they really don't like me very much, and I understand why because you know I'm a thought in their side, but they happen to like know very well that I'm not a criminal, and so you know, they 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 find limited utility and constantly you know pestering me, say. They're looking for excuses to make my life difficult and to interfere with my business. But, you know, these things are few and far between, thankfully. And so my, my, my public defender, my PD, gets in touch with the PO. And uh, the PD and the PO have a conversation. And he says, well, as a matter of fact, you know, uh, I'm, I'm the guy for the intense supervision. Because, you know, he's a special case. <laughs> special case indeed. Now, he's going to get back to him or whatever. The, P- the PD said to me, if the PO's on board, then it's then it's rare to go. And then he's like, well, you know, I don't know about that. And so I sent him an email. I'm like, hey, I can't get you to re- respond. I can't get you to supervise me when I ask for your help. 
<laughs> I ask you questions. I try to get you to intervene. I try to get you involved in my life, and you just don't answer my emails. You're going to tell me that I require supervision, but I can't even get you to talk to me upon request? Get out of here. So that's the state of that. We're going to find out pretty soon where that goes. Now, if I'm successful, that means I can go wherever I want in two weeks. And if you don't already know, the only reason I'm in New Hampshire is because I'm compelled to be. You know, I was supposed to go to a different state when I got home. And that state was like, uh, I don't want to deal with you. And so they were like, yeah, you're going to New Hampshire. I was like, hey, you guys, I, th- I've been talking about this with my case manager at the prison for two years. What are you talking about that I'm going to New Hampshire? I'm, I, my whole life is planned in another state. They're like, yeah, tough titties, kid. You're going to New Hampshire. And I'm like, okay, well, fine. You know, I moved to New Hampshire in 2012 because I wanted to get a carry permit. New York was not big on that kind of thing, you know. <laughs> but, you know, you go to prison for a little while. Carry permit is a very limited utility, say. Very difficult to obtain, for that matter. <laughs> if I were caught walking around with a carry permit, somebody might ask me some questions about how I obtained it, say. And so, you know, I'm like, well, what am I doing in New Hampshire? And the answer is uh, SFA. You know, my best friend here, you know, he just got sentenced eight years in prison. He's sitting at the Merrimack County Correctional Facility getting waiting to get transferred to a federal facility. You know, all he did was sell some Bitcoin. He wasn't trying to trick voters into voting by text. <laughs> oh, you know, he didn't do nothing that serious. And so, you know, they don't they won't let him have no bail pending sentence, and he's on his way to prison for the next eight years. So what am I supposed to do over here except sit here and talk to y'all, you know, to the extent that you guys bother to pick up the phone and do that? <coughs> I'm just kidding. I, you know, I'm happy to talk. You guys just listen. It's fine. The point being, you know, my whole life is on hold while I'm sitting in this place. I just want to get I just want to go get the heck out of New Hampshire, you know. Used to be a very beautiful place. They keep on messing it up, and I might as well, you know, get around a little bit. So we'll see what happens with that. And me at two weeks for tomorrow, we'll be a little bit closer to knowing. And if it works out, you know, I'm gonna be uh, I'm gonna be looking to get in a car, come eat some of yous. And I think that that'll be a lot of fun. You know, I think that um, uh, some people have remarked about it's curious. You know that you know some folks don't don't feel like talking to me. You know. And it's one thing that y'all don't want to pick up the phone. It's another thing when, you know, I'm looking forward to making myself very difficult to ignore, say. You know, I'm a lot easier to ignore while I'm sitting here in Manchester, New Hampshire, than uh, than I would be if I was uh, uh, traveling the country, as I used to be known to do. I used to do a lot of traveling, you might know. And so I'm looking forward to doing that again. And uh, if you want to, you know, be part of the stops when I uh, when I get to it, you know, we should uh, we should hook up. You should send me an email, surrealpolitics.com slash contact. There's other ways to get a hold of me, most of you know. You just reply to my emails. You're on my email list, right? ChristopherCantwell.net slash subscribe. I'll get you there. And uh, if you're not getting my emails, go bark at your email provider because I'm sending them. If you're on Yahoo or if you're on Spectrum, go tell those idiots that they're blocking the emails that you signed up for and let them know that they're ripping you off, that you're paying for email and they're ripping you off. Let them know. I'm serious. Go tell your email provider, hey, I signed up for emails from ChristopherCantwell.net and SurrealPolitics.com. You're bouncing them. He's trying to get a hold of you. You're not responding to him. Straighten this out or I'm going to go get, I'm going to go get files or something. <coughs> let them know. And you know what? In the meantime, what you also should do because you shouldn't trust these people with your email anyway. Go over to surrealpolitics.com slash getpm, G-E-T-P-M, like Proton Mail. And then you get a you get a free Proton Mail account. You can pay them if you want. If you do, I get a cut of the sale. But, you know, you get it for free. You go do that, and uh, then you'll your email will be encrypted. You know, the FBI will have a more difficult time reading it because they like to do that. They're a bunch of spies and crooks over there, and they rip people off along with your Internet service provider. So you get some email. You, uh, you send me an email, you listen to the show, you send me some money, surrealpolitics.com slash donate, christophercantwell.net slash donate. You got the Amazon wish list, you got my cash app, gifts and go, all that stuff. It's really easy to pay me, and you should definitely do it. And I'm also easy to talk to, so let's get a hold, we'll meet up, you know, we'll have a tea or whatever. Be a good time, all right? If not, you catch me Wednesday. I'll be cursing up a storm Friday. You know how we do this. 9.30, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, one platform or another. 
Follow me on Telegram if you figured out the stupid Apple thing. Use your web browser. If you're on Android, download the thing from Telegram.org. Don't let the Google Play Store decide who you can talk to. Take control of your life. You know what I mean? Don't let these people tell you who you can listen to. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you soon. Thank you maybe next time for your $3 tip. We have gay mirage and transvestites in charge and health and government. We are mutilating our children and telling them that they can be whatever they feel like.